Did you know that he's still God without us? He was God before us. He'll be God after us. His name was lifted high before we tried to lift his name. His glory shines before we tried to be reflectors of his glory. He is God without us calling him God. He was God before we ever knew that he was God. He's God without us calling him God. He's God without us praising him for being God. He's God without our worship. He's God without our presence. He is God without our creation. Before there was an us, there was still God. Before there was anybody to acknowledge that he was God, he was still God. Without us even existing, he's still God. There's nothing that we can do to add to God. There's nothing that we can do to take away from God because in his fullness, he is God. And yet, for whatever reason, he desires to be with us. Everything that he's done, he's done to be with us. He desires to be with you. He, he spoke the universe into creation so that he could be with you. He makes the sun rise and set so that he can be with you. He makes the wind blow and the rivers flow so that he can be with you. He makes the stars twinkle in the sky so that he can be with you. All this is so that God can be with you. This child that was born in a manger, this child that grew up to be a man that was fully God, this, this man that died on a cross and, and was buried in a borrowed tomb and then rose again on the third day, all that he did so that he could be with you. Even if he's not with you, though, he's still God. He's still God. Even if he's separated from you, man, he's still God, but he desires to be with you. Let me give you an example. So I'm taking some college classes. I'm, I'm growing in my, my knowledge and growing in my, uh, you know, theological presence, I suppose. I'll do anything I can just to get more, just to grasp more of this word. I mean, I'll do anything I can just to celebrate it more, just to learn it more, just to, to get every facet of it that I possibly can. So I'm taking some classes at Louisiana College down in, in the middle of nowhere, Louisiana. I love it, though. It's a great school. My professors are awesome. My classmates are awesome. A great thing. And I do most of it online. And it's really it's worked out really good for me. And I'm about to, to, to complete the, the degree here in a little while. And, and it's really, really cool. I love it. Um, and I do most of it online, but sometimes once a semester, I go down there, right? So I get in my car and drive 10 and a half hours to Pineville, Louisiana. And so I did that just last weekend. On a Thursday night, I, or Thursday afternoon, I got out of work and um, family met me for dinner there in Glasgow. And I, I left and drove 10 and a half hours down to Louisiana. Got up on Friday and went to class for eight hours straight and learned about eschatology for eight hours straight. If you don't know what eschatology is, it's the study of the end times. For eight hours straight, I learned about tribulation and millennialism and, and beasts and all those kind of things until it felt like my brain was about to melt out through my ear holes. Finally got loose from that, went back to the hotel room and tried to get a little workout in and then I just sit there.
Went to sleep. Yeah, all by myself, went to sleep. Got up the next day, went to class for another eight hours, this time on hermeneutics and homiletics. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, praise the Lord. Hermeneutics is the study of the interpretation of Scripture as it was written to its first century audience in the New Testament. Homiletics is the communication of what that scripture means to the audience today. So hermeneutics and homiletics means to interpret the scripture of what it's saying and then to be able to communicate that scripture to the the people that I get to communicate it to, which is you. And so I did that for another eight hours straight. And once again, I thought that my brain was going to melt out my nose this time, right? And I'm learning about all the background things that are going on in the book of Acts and like how all this stuff is written. It was crazy. And so I did that, and I was incredibly tired. I was worn out. My brain hurt. My tail hurt from sitting there in class for eight hours. I was struggling a little bit. And so the plan was for me to go back to the hotel room, grab another little workout, and then sit there until time to go to bed, get up the next morning, and, and drive back to Kentucky. I had, Brent was preaching last week, so I didn't have to be here for church. Um, and so that was the plan. And that was the plan all the way until I like walked out to my car. And so I was standing there in the parking lot at my college, looking at the car and thinking, you know, I could go home. It's 10 and a half hours. I get home, it'll be 2 a.m., but I could do it. And so that's what I did. And let me tell you why. Even though I'm in Louisiana, 10 and a half hours away, I'm still my wife's husband. See, we're still in a covenant relationship even though I'm separated by that distance from her. I'm still her husband, but I'm not with her. I'm still my son's father. I'm still father to Titus and Logan. I'm still their father, but I'm not with them. You see where I'm going with this? So even though I'm still in covenant relationship with them, even though I'm still father to my children, even though I'm still husband to my wife, if I'm not with them, if there's a separation there, then I'm not living in the fullness that I like to live as, as a husband and as a father. It's my desire to be with them. It's my desire to be close to them. It's my desire to experience them, not just to be, you know, connected to them in title, not just to be connected to them in covenant, but to actually be with them. That's my desire. And so I got in the car, brain hurting, tail hurting, started that sucker up and headed for Kentucky. And I drove 10 and a half hours home just so I could be next to my sleeping family because it's my desire, it's my heart to to be with them. If you're a saved, born-again believer in Jesus Christ, then you're in a covenant relationship with him. If if you're a born-again child of God, man, he has lavished his love on you that he would call you the children of God. You're in relationship with him. If you belong to God, you're his child. If you're a member of the body of Christ and you're in covenant marriage relationship with the Son, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you spend your life with, with him. There's some of us that are Christian in name alone. There's some of us that are Christian in name alone. 
alone. And, and that's not the kind of relationship that God desires to have with you. Man, he wants to be with you. This whole thing is so that he can be with you. It's so every day, every moment of your life, man, he's right there with you. That's what this whole Advent season is about, the coming the coming, the arrival, the being with us. And that's what God desires above all other things. Above all other things, he desires to be with you. Listen to this. In Genesis 9, he says to Noah, I will establish my covenant with you. In Genesis 17, he says to Abraham, I will establish my covenant with you. He says to Isaac in Genesis 26, I'll be with you and bless you. He says to Jacob in Genesis 28, I am with you wherever you go. He says to Joseph in, in Genesis 39, the Lord, it says the Lord was with him and caused him to prosper. In Exodus 3, he says to Moses, I will be with you. He says to Joshua in Joshua 1, just as I've been with Moses, I'll be with you. I'll never fail you. I'll never forsake you. He says to Gideon in Judges 6, surely I'll be with you. And, and David writes in the psalm, I'll fear no evil because you are with me. In, in Psalm 46, David writes, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. He says to the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 43, do not fear for I have redeemed you. I've called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. He says to Jeremiah, do not be afraid for I am with you, declares the Lord. And I'm here to tell you today that our God has promised not just to be with these figures of the Old Testament, but also to be with you. That's his prayer. Yeah, let's give God praise for that, man. I mean, he's with you. He wants to be with you. His desire is to be with you. But even though God on his side wants to be with us and he pours his life out to be with us, how many times do we neglect to be with him? How often do we hide from his presence? How often do we turn our backs and walk away? Listen to this in Genesis 3. The Bible says this. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. I mean, he desires to be with us and yet we hide from him because of our sin. We hide from him because of the shame and guilt that we had. That should have been sent to hell where it belongs and yet we still hold on to it like it's something dear to us. And we hide from God and he desires to be with us and we hide from God and he desires to be with us and we turn our back on God and he desires to be with us and yet we refuse to surrender. We refuse to acknowledge. We refuse to come under his glory and experience him in his fullness. For what reason? Man, I'm here to tell you today that God desires to be with you. God desires to be with you in every aspect, every facet of your life. He wants to be with you. And let me prophesy this, that a life with God, come on, man, a life with God, a life with God is so much better than a life without God could ever, ever be. Because he's God. He's God. And the life that he has planned for you is so much better than anything that you could have ever planned for yourself. So much better. Every moment is better with God in it. Do you know you can't live for God without God? And yet sometimes we try 
let me keep these rules really good. It'll be awesome. Let me go to church every time the doors are open. God, you just stay there. I got this. It's going to be great. We can't live for God without God. He did all these things so that he could be with us, so that he could experience life with us. Would you just stand for the reading of God's word this morning? Let me give you some context to this scripture. So we're going to be talking about a couple of the kingdoms of Israel. So at this time, the kingdom of Israel split in two. So there's the kingdom of Judah, where Jerusalem is. And then there's the kingdom of Israel, which represents like the other nine tribes or whatever. And they're, they're split. And what has happened is the, the, the kingdoms of Israel have teamed up with the kingdom of Aram. And they are going to attack the kingdom of Judah. They're going to attack the capital city of Jerusalem. <clears throat> because the king of Judah won't team up with them against another country called Assyria. And I know this is complicated, but it's important. And... The king of Judah, his name is Ahaz, who we'll be talking about in just a second. He's actually made a deal with the king of Assyria that he's going to bend the knee before him and become one of his servants if he will actually help him fight off these other two kingdoms. So this is big convoluted like Game of Thrones thing going on, right? And it's all crazy. But God has spoken to King Ahaz, king of Judah, the heir to David's throne. The heir to David's throne. And, and he has said to him, all you have to do is just surrender to me, the Lord your God, and I'll fix all this stuff. I'll fix it all. Just surrender to God, and you don't have to make any deals with the devil. Surrender to God, and you don't have to fight any battles. I'll fight your battles for you. And that's where we pick up with the prophet Isaiah talking to King Ahaz in, in verse 10 of Isaiah 7. The Bible says this, Then the Lord spoke again to Ahaz, Ask for a sign from the Lord your God. It can be as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. But it has replied, I will not ask. I will not test the Lord. Y'all ever see somebody fake humble? Yeah, that's what's going on here. I'll talk about that in a second. And Isaiah said, listen, house of David. You know, it's all of a sudden he's speaking to everybody, not just one guy. He's speaking to everybody. Listen, house of David. It is not enough for you to try the presence of men. Is it not enough for you to try the presence of men? Will you try the patience of my God? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. See, the virgin will conceive and have a son and name him Emmanuel. Pray with me this afternoon. God, we praise you. We worship you. We thank you for everything you've done and are going to do. Most of all, God, we pray thanking you for your desire to be with us. Thanking you that you would just cast off all restraint to be with us. Thank you that you would fight through everything, even hell itself, just to be with us. What an awesome God that you are. Lord, I pray that you'll just unlock this word today. Lord, I pray that we'd be able to receive it and know it and let it change us and let it deliver us and let it transform us into the powerful people of God that you have desired us to be. Let us not keep you out of any aspect of our lives, God, but let your desire to be with us be reflected in our desire to be with you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Let's give God a shout of praise this morning, can we, just for his word. 
just for his word, man. See, God wants to do something miraculous for Ahaz. God wants to do something miraculous. He wants to let these opposing armies come down and just smack them down the way that God does. And Ahaz hides. He hides from God the same way that Adam and Eve were hiding in the garden. He hides the same way that many of you and myself have hid when God wanted to do something miraculous in our lives. See, Isaiah says, look, look, Ahaz, ask for a sign. It can be as deep as hell or as high as heaven. Ask and it shall be done in the name of the Lord. And Ahaz is like, oh, no, 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 not me. I won't test the Lord. No, 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 no. Fake humility. Fake humility. I don't know about you, but I think fake humility is one of the most stupid, most garbage-filled things that I've ever seen in my life. Have you ever seen somebody do that? They're all fake humble. Have you ever seen me do that? Yeah, some of you probably have. People will be like, great sermon, pastor. And they'll be like, oh, no. Don't, don't, don't say that it was a great sermon to me. It was all God. It was all God. Could you tell me how great it was again just one more time? Come on, just one more time, tell me how good it was. But it was all God. And we do that. But it's garbage. It's fake. You see, Ahaz didn't want a sign from God. He didn't want a sign from God. Because if God gives him this epic sign, if God gives him this incredible sign that's as deep as hell or as high as heaven, then he has to acknowledge that God is on the throne. See, you have to acknowledge the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob if he shows up in a miraculous way. And he doesn't want to do that. He doesn't want to acknowledge God because if he acknowledged God, he has to be accountable for the things that he's done. Oh, yeah, you don't know about this guy, some of you. Let me share with you who Ahaz is. This is in First Chronicles 28, or Second Chronicles 28, excuse me. Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king. And he reigned in Jerusalem 16 years, and unlike David his father, he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He followed the ways of the kings of Israel and made idols for worshiping Baal. He burned sacrifices in the valley of Ben-Hinnon and sacrificed his children in the fire, engaging in the detestable practices of the nation the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. He offered sacrifices and burned incense in the high places and on the hilltops and under every spreading tree. And so this guy is standing in the presence of the Lord, and the Lord is saying, look, I desire to be in relationship with you, but you're going to have to turn your ways from this detestable practices and turn towards me. God is extending his grace to this king, and yet this king refuses to accept his grace because accepting his grace means that he has to acknowledge that God is who God says that he is, and all the things that he's done in his life have to be condemned, and he has to repent of those things and put them away and turn his face towards God. And he's unwilling to do that because he's already made his own plans that he's going to go through with. He's already made his own plans. He's already got a deal with the king of Assyria. He made another deal with another devil, and he's ready he wants to walk through that. And if he, if he acknowledges God and God proves himself, he has to give up on his plans and surrender himself before the living God and be with him. And he's unwilling to do that. Unwilling to accept the grace of God. Unwilling to, to give himself over to the truth that is our Lord. Unwilling, even though God has promised to fix all his mess even though God's promised to, to forgive all his sins, even though God has promised to break all his chains and fight all his battles and do everything that he needs done. Does that sound familiar? 
Because he's made the same promise to us. I'll break your chains. I'll heal your wounds. I'll fight your battles. I'll just forgive you for everything you've done. I'll pour my grace out on you. I'll make, I'll, I'll, I'll make you a, a child of the living God. I'll make you an heir to the kingdom. I'll make you a, a reflector of my glory. I'll take your broken pieces and put them back together in a way that you could never imagine them being. And we're like, no, I'm good. I'm good. Because we don't want to acknowledge him as God. And so we'd rather hide in the woods. We'd rather hide in the woods than bend our knee before the living God. You know, there's a certain uh, apologetics guru that has asked a lot of people, atheists that he talks to mostly out on the streets, and he'll just say, look, if I could prove to you that God is real... If I could prove to you in a fact, scientific-based manner that God is real, would you follow him? You know what their answer is, a big percentage of the time? No. No, I would not follow him. So you see, the problem is not that they don't believe in God. The problem is that they don't want to believe in God. See, let me tell you this. There's no such thing as an atheist. Everyone believes in God. It's, it's written in our hearts that there is a God. It's written in our hearts. We know that it's true, whether we want to acknowledge it or not. That's the problem. They refuse to acknowledge it. They constantly resist the spirit. They constantly refuse to surrender themselves because if there is a God, we have to be held accountable for the things that we've done. If there's a God, then we have to be accountable for the evil that's in our heart right now. If there's a God, then we still have to be accountable for the evil that we're planning on doing. See, if there's a God that we have to surrender to, man, we have to acknowledge who we are and how broken that we are, and people refuse to do that. But here's this guy that has burned his children in a fire, and still God wants to be with him. What an incredible God that we serve. When you think your sins are too bad that God don't want to be with you, you think because you used to be on dope and do crazy stuff or you used to get drunk and beat people up, man, or, or you used to steal all this money, you, you think that that is case for God not to love you? You think because you weren't there for your children or you did bad by your spouse, you think that that's so much that God doesn't want to be with you? Man, that's a lie from the pits of hell. It doesn't matter what you've done. Heck, it doesn't matter what you're doing right now. It doesn't matter what you plan on doing tomorrow. Still, God desires to be with you. Now, you can't stay there. You can't keep being that person in his presence, but that's the whole point of what I'm saying today. To invite him in is to invite change into our life, to allow him to come into our life, to allow him to arrive into our life, into every aspect of our life, it means to be changed into something more than we could have ever imagined being. And yet Ahaz refuses to do that. Refuses. No, I will not ask for a sign. No, I will not test God. No, I will not surrender to God. No, I will not acknowledge God. No, I will not invite God into my kingdom. You know, this kingdom that I've raised up for myself. Anybody else got a kingdom? Yeah, we all do. We all have a kingdom. It may be as small as just you. It may include your family. It may include a whole church full of people. I don't know. But we all have a kingdom. But what I need us to understand today is who's really ruling your kingdom? Is it you? Because if it is, you're doing it wrong. If it is, you're doing it way, way wrong. What we have to do is acknowledge who the real ruler is. 
acknowledge that there's a king of glory, man. There's a, a God of the universe that desires to be with us. And so Ahab refuses. He hides. Man, who else here hides from God sometimes? Yeah, some of y'all hiding from God right now. I hide from God sometimes too. I mean, he, but, he, but he desires to be with you. I mean, you ask Adam and Eve the very first time that anybody ever hid from God. You know, it's the very first time anybody ever hid from God. And they were hiding because they were ashamed of their sin. They were ashamed that they had, had committed the, the one thing that he asked them not to do. And they hid. But what did God say? Adam, where are you? Because even in the midst of Adam's sin, God desired to be with him. Adam, where are you? Now, don't think for a second that God didn't know exactly where Adam was. He knew where he was, but he just wanted him to come to him. I mean, how many times in your life is God said, Josh, where are you? Annette, where are you? Brandy, where are you? Jeff, where are you? Liz, where are you? Autumn, where are you? Every one of us he's called out to. Every single one of us in this room he's called out to. Where are you? I know he's called out to me and I'll be hiding. And God will be like, Paul, where are you? And then the Holy Spirit that lives inside of me will be like, hey, who are we hiding from? I'll be like, wow. Okay, here I am, God. How many of us hide from God on Monday morning at work or school? How many of us hide from God on Friday evening or on Saturday afternoon? We spend all that time hiding from God. And then Sunday morning rolls around and we're like, hey, God, here I am. And he's not surprised because he's known where you are the whole time, but yet still he desires that you would come to him. He just desires to be with you. But it's like Pastor Brent always says, man, God won't force you into his presence. He just invites you into his presence. He invites you. Where are you? Come be with me. Where are you? I created the sun and the stars for you. Where are you? I created the water that flows and the waves that roll for you. Where are you? I just want to be with you. And Ahaz refuses the sign from God and the prophet Isaiah speaks up and says, I'm going to give you a sign anyway. Matter of fact, I'll give you the most incredibly epic sign that there ever was in the history of the universe. A better sign than the, the, the pillar of fire in the night that the children of Israel followed. A, a better sign than the cloud during the day. A bigger sign than the splitting of the Red Sea. A bigger sign than the seven plagues that came on Egypt. A bigger sign than, the, than the, the splitting of the Jordan River. A bigger sign than the falling of the walls of Jericho. A bigger sign than manna that appeared on the ground for the children to eat. A bigger sign than the water that flowed from the rocks. A bigger sign than it's ever been given in the history of the universe. I'll give it to you right now. 
And you know that, that after, he, after Isaiah made this proclamation, he was about to give a sign straight from God that everybody had to be listening. And Isaiah said, a virgin will conceive a child and they'll call him Emmanuel. And you know, King Ahaz had to be like, what? I've got a war to fight here. I've got opposing enemy, like countries and enemies around me from all sides. I mean, our kingdom is about to be destroyed and a child will be born? What? And all the people that were in earshot that heard him say this had to feel the same way. Like, what in the world are you talking about? A child will be born of a virgin. Number one, that doesn't exist. And number two, who cares? And it didn't even happen for 750 years. So why would Isaiah, standing here in the court of King Ahaz in the kingdom of Judah, with enemies surrounding them, prophesy the sign of a child to be born of a virgin and that they would call him Emmanuel? And this is why. Because he was prophesying that even though Ahaz was wicked and refused to bow before God, that still God would keep his promise to Abraham to be with him. He was prophesying to the kingdom of Judah that even though their hearts were wicked and they refused to bow before God, still he would keep his promise to Jacob to be with them. He was prophesying that even though their hearts were far from God, that he is still God and he would keep his promise to Joseph to be with them. That he would keep his promise to, to Gideon to be with them. That he would keep his promise to Joshua to be with them. That he would keep his promise to King David that a king from his line would reign on the throne of Israel forever and ever and ever. And wait, church, he's prophesying to you here today that no matter how wicked that your heart gets, no matter how many times that you turn away, his offer to be with you still stands. Can you give him praise for that at the Way Church today? Still stands. Still wants to be with you. How do we know? Because a child, because a virgin became pregnant with a child and he was born in Bethlehem and they named him they called him Emmanuel. But what does that mean? You'll notice I haven't defined it yet, but I want to. Throw that other scripture up there. This is in the book of Matthew in chapter 1. And the Bible says this. She'll give birth to a son, and you're to give him the name Jesus because he will save the people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Man, say it with me. They'll call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. We're going to have to do better than that, man. If you believe it today, say it with me. We're going to call him Emmanuel, which means... Come on, man. God with us. I want to talk to you just to conclude this sermon today about what that means. Very few places in Scripture do they give you the Hebrew word 
and then immediately translate it into the Greek, okay? Very, very few places do even in the translations of the New Testament, they keep it in the original Hebrew word. See, the, the New Testament was written in Greek. Maybe you don't know that, but the, the New Testament was written in Greek. Very few places in the New Testament do they include the original Hebrew or Aramaic word that they were speaking at the time and then immediately translate it into the Greek. But I want to tell you why they're doing that. When they do that, they want to put special emphasis on the fact that these things are communicated for the Jew and the Gentile alike. They want to give special precedence to the fact that these truths are for everyone, for all of us. This is for all of us. I know they do it a few more times, but I found four times that they do this that are huge. The first one I found is when Jesus is healing a, a, a man that was born deaf and mute, and he cries out, Ephatha, Ephatha, which means open. It means to open, and he was meaning to open his ears, open his mouth, Ephatha, which means open. The next time it appears, he was hanging on the cross. And the Bible says that he cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lima sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The next time it says that he was still on that cross, and the Bible says that he cried out, Tetelestai, which means it is finished. And then here, in Matthew chapter 1, at the beginning, it says, and they'll call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, why do they do that? Well, they give us a father because his healing is for all of us. A father open because the healing of Christ is for all of us. They, they did it with Lima Sabachthani because his suffering was for all of us. They did it with Tetelestai because his finished work on the cross is for all of us. And they did it at the very beginning, the very beginning of the gospel of Matthew to say Emmanuel means God with us because God is with, uh, desires to be with, wants more than anything else to be with us all. Maybe you thought he just wanted to be with somebody else, but he wants to be with you. Maybe you thought that he came to be with good people. He came to be with all of us. Maybe you thought he came to be with people from a certain area or a certain economic level or just anybody that wasn't you, but that's just not true. Man, he came to be with you. And man, I want this message to penetrate hearts today. I want this message to break through every defense that you have ever put up in your life, man. God came to be with you. This sign that he gave that a child would be born of a virgin, that epic sign is for you. That sign is for you to do something that could never happen on the face of the earth, and yet he did it for you. As a sign for you, the sign of the cross and the empty grave, man, he did it all for you because he desires to be with you. Man, a, a light has shined in the darkness to give us hope, man. That hope has a name, and it's the name of Jesus. He desires to be with you no matter what you've done, no matter what you're caught up in now, no matter what you have planned to do tomorrow, man, he still desires to be with you. And not just part of your life, man, he desires 
desires to be with you in every aspect of your entire lives. Am I speaking to unsaved people today? Yes. But if you have never made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ, and this message is for you, God desires to be with you above and beyond all other things. He desires to be with you. I mean, that's what he wants more than anything else is to be with you. I mean, if you've never accepted his truth and his love and his grace, man, seize that opportunity today. Don't walk out of here without it. Surrender your heart to him. I man, stop hiding. Don't be like King Ahaz. Acknowledge that he is God. Don't be like Adam and Eve. Don't hide from him in the, in the trees. Man, acknowledge that he is God. Walk with him. Surrender to him. Don't be like I was for so very very long. I spent a lot of time hiding, guys. I spent a lot of time hiding. I knew who he was. I knew who he was. I always believed, but I hid. And it took a brush with death. It took a brush with death at my own hands before I would acknowledge that he is God and surrender my life to him. Before I would come to him and just accept his offer of grace, his offer, his offer of witness that I would be with him. But this message is not just for those that don't know him at all, man. This message is for those that have a casual relationship with him. This message is for those that have a relationship to where they, they claim covenant with him, but yet they're in a far off land. Like I was with my family when I was 10 and a half hours away. I'm still in relationship with them. I can still even talk to them some, but not with them. I mean, if you're a Christ follower today, he desires to be with you. Man, he wants to be with you when you wake up in the morning. He wants to be with you on your way to work. He wants to be with you while you're there struggling through that day. He wants to be with you when you get off. He wants to be with you when you come home. Man, he wants to be with you all the time. We cannot live for God without God. Man, he wants to be with you. Some of us have got parts of our lives that we shield him from. It's like, God, you can have all this, but you can't have that stuff. Don't want you present in that part of my life. Then uh, the time has come to break open those locks, to break open those doors, to break open those strongholds and let God be part of our life. Let God be with us in every aspect of our life. To let God just ming intermingle with us as we go throughout everything that we do. Man, as we enter into this Advent season, let us surrender our lives. Let us surrender our lives to God, man. He desires to be with us. Man, let's reflect that. Let's reflect that and let our heart's desire be to be with him. Be to be with him. Because that's what matters above all things. Matthew 28 says, remember I am with you. Always, even until the end of the age. John 14 says, I go to prepare a place for you so that where I am, you can be with me. Like JR was saying at the beginning of service, come on home. Come on home. Maybe you've been 10 hours away from the Lord. Come on home. Maybe you didn't even know where home was. Come on home. 
Maybe you don't know what it's like to experience the fullness of a relationship with God.